what brings us all here is because he's faithful and we want to honor him we want to glorify him and, and give him that love back we're in a series right now called Jesus is the subject we're basing it on becoming more and more like Christ our first Ephesians 4.15 and also pulling from Hebrews 12 verse 2 where it talks about keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and protector of our faith. Because keeping Jesus the subject means becoming more like him. It means doing the things that he did. It means transforming our attitudes, our thoughts, and our actions after the model that he set for us. Now, the first week we talked about purpose and priorities because Jesus was certain about his purpose. He came to save the lost. He aligned his priorities to fulfill that purpose. He was intentional in establishing those priorities to fulfill his purpose. And we talked about our purpose. As people made in the image of God and followers of Christ, that we're to give him the glory in all things. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is an official of the highest rank sent to a nation to represent it on a temporary mission. That's our job. We're on a temporary mission in this world, sent by the creator of the universe, the king of kings, to represent him. How are we doing? Are our priorities lined up with our purpose? Are our actions and our choices bringing glory to God? Or are they smearing his name? Are we seeking his kingdom first? Are we focusing on those things that have eternal value? Are we on our knees in prayer, asking for his direction and his guidance? And then the second week, we looked at Jesus' prayer life. He prayed often. He prayed before critical moments in his life. And he prayed before making decisions. He prayed with others, and he prayed for others. And we studied the importance of humility in our prayers. Because our prayers aren't meant to be a grocery list of things that we want God to do for us. Our prayers are simply a response to his love for us. They are first and foremost a way for us to worship and praise him for all that he's done. And we talked about seeking his face and not just his hand. Because when we seek God's face... It's a transformation in our soul because God satisfies our deepest soul's desires to know him intimately. And then when we approach his throne with worshipful hearts, with thankful hearts, we can't help but submit our will to his. With praise on our lips, our focus shifts from what we want to what he wants. Tonight, we're going to look at Jesus' compassion. Compassion is defined as a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. We're going to start in the 8th chapter of John. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. 
A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. And there's no doubt about her guilt. She says she was caught in the act. So we know she's guilty of something. And yes, God hates sin. But we also know that God loves the sinner. Because that's why Jesus came. He died for the sinners. Here she is, before crowd. Her sin on display for all to see. And yet Jesus, the only one that was without sin, that could have thrown the stone, had compassion on her. He knew that she didn't need another critic. She just needed someone to care. What if our sins popped up on the screen tonight? I imagine we'd all be a little uncomfortable about that. And for this reason, we tend to relate more to the adulterous woman in the story. But in reality, we more often behave like the Pharisees. They were focused on their own agenda. They were looking out for their own interests. It says that Jesus was in the temple teaching the religious leaders and complete disregard for the worship and the holiness of the teaching in the temple. The equivalent of that is if a group of people just all of a sudden storm in here and bring a prostitute up here and say, what are you going to do with her? That's, that's what happened. That's the equivalent. The Pharisees had an agenda. They were so focused on their own interests. They were so focused on their own self-righteousness they completely missed the opportunity to love when God loved. They were so focused on the law that they forgot about the love. We have our own agenda too. We look at people. We size them up. We pass judgment. We pick up our stones and we start throwing them. See, we can throw stones without saying a word. We can throw stones without actually doing an action at all. Because the very formation of a judgmental thought in your head is a reflection of what's in your heart. 
Matthew 12, verses 33 through 35, says it this way. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. The Pharisees came to the temple that day with malice and judgment in their hearts and stones in their hands. But Jesus knew this. So he turned the table on them. He bent down to write in the, stand, in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. We do know that it was compelling enough. It was convicting enough that the crowd left <coughs> one by one, leaving him alone with the woman. He addresses her with such compassion. He doesn't bring up her sin again. He doesn't condone it, but he knows that she's already broken. She's already been humiliated enough. She's been humbled. She calls him Lord. Jesus knew that she didn't need death. She needed deliverance. Jesus knew that she didn't need humiliation. She needed help. She didn't need stoning. She needed saving. The Pharisees were so focused on themselves and the stones in their hands they couldn't see any love or any compassion. How often do someone else's sins get laid out on display before us? How often does their mess spill into our lives? How do we respond? Because avoiding them, ignoring it, are still responses. And they keep our hand tight around that stone. Sometimes we need Jesus to write in the sand and remind us of our own faults, of our own weaknesses, our own failures that we had before we met him. There's another story that we're going to talk about tonight. It's in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Now, to understand the significance of what Jesus just did, we really have to understand what lepers went through at that time. Jewish law stated that lepers had to remain six feet away from any other body, any other person. And if the wind was blowing, you know, kind of across them towards others, the law was 150 feet away that they had to stand. 
The only thing that was more defiling than contact with a leper was contact with a dead body. It was believed by the religious people of that day that leprosy was a sign of judgment by God for sins that had been committed. The lepers were often forced to live beyond the city gates in oftentimes what was considered the city dump. Leviticus gives us this rule for people with leprosy. Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. In some historical records, it was actually written that the family would declare a leper dead to the family. It cast them that far away. So you can imagine the life of a leper. Rejected, no human contact, no human touch. Think about how, how good holding someone else's hand feels. They didn't have that. So this leper comes to Jesus desperate. He has nowhere else to turn. But he knows that Jesus can heal him. But he says, Lord, if you are willing, he comes to Jesus humble. Like the adulterous woman. He's broken. He's humiliated. He's despised. And it says that Jesus moved with compassion. And he reaches out and he touches him. Jesus violated the societal laws, the religious laws. And he touched the man anyway. He could have healed him with a word. But he doesn't. He touches him. He makes a strong statement for us about compassion. He placed love and compassion over ritual and regulations. Because Jesus knew how important that touch was for the leper. Jesus knew what he needed, and he put the needs of this man before his own. That definition of compassion that I read earlier, there were two parts. The first part was a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who was stricken misfortune. The second part, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. See, compassion isn't compassion unless it's acted upon. How willing are we to demonstrate compassion for others? Are we willing to risk getting a little dirty, a little messy in our lives in order to show compassion? Are we willing to sacrifice our comfort and our wants the needs of another. A couple months ago, Jay and I, we, we do a monthly run to Target. And we you know, get a lot of our shopping done. And this one particular day, we were kind of squeezing in our, our Target visit into our schedule. We had things before it, things after it to do. And we were in line. We had put all our stuff up on the conveyor belt. We were waiting to check out. And the process is going along. And then an older woman comes up behind us. And she has a little boy, maybe about six or seven. And 
little boy was very rambunctious. He starts playing with all our stuff on the conveyor belt. Even he's trying to climb up on the conveyor belt to get our stuff and to play with it and do all kinds of stuff.
bring worship one, love everyone and service one. We need to become more like Jesus. We need to make him the subject. We need to remember our purpose. Line up our priorities to fulfill that purpose. We need to nourish our prayer life and satisfy that spiritual hunger that God put in us to know him more intimately. And we need to have a compassion for the lost. Review your day today. Review the past week or the past month. What situations have you been in that required your compassion? Are you so intent on being right? Are you so intent on seeking restitution and revenge for your own hurts that you've lost sight of compassion? Are you dealing with people and reaching out to people in a way that glorifies Christ? Or are you holding on to that stone waiting to throw it? Let this stone dig it home. Let it be a reminder to drop them. Stop picking them back up. You need to look to others with compassion and act on it. Compassion means you drop it and reach out in love. It's the capacity to feel what it's like to live in someone else's skin. It's the idea that there will never be peace and joy in my life until there's peace and joy in yours. We need to start living lives worthy of the sacrifice that our Savior made. We need to live lives that are different set apart and transformed because the very one who saved us is living in us. We need to get past this idea that our life is about us and about our purpose. Because our life is about him and his purpose is our purpose. Does your life look different? Are you seeing people with compassion? way that Jesus did. You have his eyes to see the world around you. Just 